Robbie Knox here, landlord of the Moon Underwater, and I have a very exciting announcement to share with you. Have you ever found yourself listening along to the podcast thinking, hmm, I wish I could experience this with my own eyes in the real world? Well, you're in luck, because very soon the Moon Underwater will be returning to the other realm for a special live show. As it's such a special occasion, we thought we'd invite an equally special guest along. Joining us on the night to create their dream pub is the Edinburgh Comedy Award-winning comedian Ahir Shah. It's taking place on Sunday the 7th of April at Moth Club in London. Tickets are on general sale now. Search Moon Under Pod on socials, head to our page and click the link in the bio to get your tickets. We look forward to seeing you there. Taxi's queue lit by sodium. Chariots towards slumber waiting. Drops in a puddle disperse the reflection of the moon underwater. I'm Robbie Knox and I'm the landlord of the Moon Underwater, a mystical place where guests create their dream pub. Oh, it's Dan. Dan, Hello. how are you? Welcome back to the pub. How's things? Very good, thanks. Always nice to be first one in the pub. Yep. Well, I mean, yeah. that often happens when you turn up at eight a.m. It is. Yeah. 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 I've uh, been outside for, for an hour. <laughs> have you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It wasn't really open. Just uh, went to one of the plants in the window boxes, and you've just sort of stuck in. Yeah. Haven't you? Um, yeah. But yeah, what, what have you been up to this week? Anything good? I went uh, kayaking this oh, week on the done. estuary. And the estuary, you like that yeah, estuary, yeah. don't you? I do. I spend a lot of time there. I feel it's a risky place to kayak. It is. It's, it's a bit rough and it's quite wide. Mm. And also, it's odd in the correct realm, isn't it? Because yeah. I kayaked quite a long way, and then it was a bit like in the end of the Truman Show. I just sort of hit a hit hit some sort of oh. force field and just stopped. Oh, and I just had to come turn back. around and come back. Yeah, oh. I think there I were just, warning signs on the bank of the force field. Yeah. You might miss them. Yeah. Do you know what I saw you doing the other day? Fact, yesterday it was. <laughs> yeah. I saw you walking down the street, yep. hand in hand, yeah. with a proboscis monkey that was wearing a silver medal from the 1992 Olympics. And I know you'll have a hilarious story about how that came about. <laughs> what, how I met him or how well, we got how, the, how, uh, how, Why you were hanging around together. How, um, yeah, the whole story, really. Yeah. As quick as you can, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> well, um, I had visited the safari park and he's retired there. Right. His name's uh, Gary. As you know, <laughs> Gary, Gary yeah. the monkey. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, basically they do a day release system. Like prison? Yeah. And if you, because it's not that nice at, in the safari park. Well, I mean, it's fine. Kind of is a prison in some ways. Yeah, exactly. And if you um, buy enough merchandise at the shop, you're allowed mm-hmm. to choose an animal to take out with you for the day. Right. And I chose Gary. Okay. So we went out for a stroll. Yep. Um, had some ice cream. Yep. Yep. Uh, he's not very talkative. No. Yeah, monkey, isn't he? He, and he does sort of keep just pointing at his medal all the time. Yes, yeah, so what's the story behind the medal? Reminding me of you with right. your marathon medals. Okay. Yeah. What's the story with the medal? Really? Um, well, he uh, he 
is controversial. You probably remember. You're not that much younger than me. Mm, go on. So he uh, shaved his entire body right. and entered the, um, the high jump. What, so won. this monkey took place part in the Barcelona Olympics? Yeah. Don't remember that? Yeah. yeah. Well, because he shaved his body. He looked, he looked human. What? And, That's um, not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> right, Dan, thanks for having <laughs> enough of that. Thank you very much. Look at that. I was, sorry to stop that story in full fight, but who is that sprinting across the hills with reckless abandon? It is it's the drinks writer, Jessica Mason. Jessica, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to the Moon Underwater. Very excited to have you here with some much-needed expertise in, in a, well, a sea of fools mm. here, really, sort of thing. Um, how would you describe yourself? Is, is drinks writer appropriate? What, what, what things do you do so people can get an idea? I write for the drinks business, which is a business publication for the trade and consumer, which is sort of print and online. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written for lots of different magazines, but mostly drinks magazines. And I don't know. I mean, I write about pubs too. So, um, and done tasting notes and all sorts of things like that and lots of judging. I think drinks writer is probably more all-encompassing than drinks journalist, but I don't really mind either. Wonderful. Well, what's, what's your, um, what was your first experience of pubs when you were growing up? Goodness. I mean, I, I went to the pub quite a lot with my stepdad and we used to go and play darts uh, to get out of the way um, <laughs> when my mum was cooking and, <laughs> and various things. And I also used to go on milk rounds with him and he used to sort of do some of his cashing up sort of in the pub and I'd match his pint with a sort of St. Clement's or something. Um, Where was this? Where, where did you grow up? In Enfield in yeah, North yeah. London. And um, yeah, those were my first experiences, really. I, I think sort of that whole sort of batten down the hatches kind of feeling of going somewhere where everybody that was there wanted to be there yeah. rather than anywhere else. And I really liked it. Did, did you straight, straight away, were you like, yeah, this is my place? I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of used to like watching people. I like people yeah. watching, you know, a bit like when you're on the tube and you mm. sort of look at all of the different people. I loved that about the pub when I was little. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I felt that sense of belonging immediately, but I was certainly keen to be a part of it. What is it that you like about pubs now? Is it, is it that sense of belonging? Totally. Uh, I think that it's... I think pubs are so much more than the, just the purveyors of alcohol. I think that they're these sort of community spaces that are essentially the home from home. And so I think we really missed pubs so much, obviously, during lockdown. And um, we've grown new appreciation for them. So. You mentioned it about community spaces. Like my local pub, until recently, is actually shut down now, but it had the post office in it as well sort of thing. Is there? Do you see a trend in, in the industry of pubs, expanding beyond just the traditional bar area i think we saw that when they had to diversify and sort of you know offer things like cotton and milk and stuff like that and you know when 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 we were locked down during the pandemic but i also think that you know i have memories of people that used to sort of collect their posts from behind the bar or leave a set of spare keys there just in case they'd got locked out and i think that it's nice to know that there's a sort of neighbourly idea and aspect about it. But I also love the fact that you can go around different places in the UK and find places that feel just like a homely place. Um, and you can happen upon them even if you don't live around the corner. Have you got a favourite pub? I have a few favourite pubs, but I mean, much as this podcast represents, it's really hard to whittle that down to just no. one place. Fair, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Um, how did you end up getting into drinks writing? 
For, I think for a lot of fans of pubs, that's a dream job. <laughs> a lot of people say that. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because nobody really sort of pulls you aside at school. Careers advisors don't sort of siphon you off and say, <laughs> yeah. you'd make a really good booze writer. Um, but it was sort of fortuitous, really. What actually happened was I did a degree in English. Um, nobody knows what to do with a degree in English uh, once they've um, finished it. But I did start working in magazines and in publishing, but mostly sort of all the things I'd seen in um, you know glosses and things I'd seen on shelf when I was a kid, and um, yeah, I I ended up doing a postgrad in business journalism and moving from the publishing side over to the writing side. And what the first job that I got was actually for a drinks website for just drinks um, as a journalist rather than uh, on the publishing side. So Wonderful. that's how that all occurred, and then from there I went to different titles. Wonderful. Right. Well, we're going to get on with designing your dream pub. Okay, we're going to talk about um, draft choices. First of all, how important are do you think draft selection is to a pub? And what sort of mix do you think you need to have? There are lots of different ways you could answer this. Some people would say that you need everything to be balanced. You need to be able to offer a stout. You need to be able to offer lager. You need to be able to offer a, a bitter or an IPA or something. And because then you're covering all bases. My feeling is that um, it's a bit like <laughs> judging somebody on their music choices or something. You know, if, if they've got at least three albums that you really like, you sort of think, well, they're probably okay. And I think that it's a bit like that for pubs. So drafts are really important for me because if I go in there and I see a couple of things that I think, oh, they really kind of know what they're doing, yeah. then it's somewhere that I'll go back to or, or, or I'll push open the door a bit further and go in. Um, so it's, it's incredibly important. And also it, it sort of represents how well they want to keep the place. If you just see a sort of a tap wall with lots of sort of railway tiles and keg lines, then I don't know whether or not it offers the same level of charm and personality of some knowing that somebody's actually um, putting out car scale in their pub. Fabulous. Right. Mm. You, get, you get two choices on draft. Thank what you. What is... You're very welcome. Um, what is your first selection? My first is... <laughs> is Harvey's Sussex best? And the reason I sort of pause is because I think it's quite an obvious choice. Um, I live in Brighton. Um, Harvey's is just, I mean, it has to be on cask, by the way. Yeah. Um, Harvey's is just such a well-balanced, Harvey's Sussex best is just such a well-balanced, well-crafted pint of beer. Um, good day, bad day, sunshine, rain, um, whether you're with a mate, whether you're about to meet somebody for the first time, setting the world to rights, anything. It's just the absolute perfect pint. You can have it with a roast. You can have it on its own. Yeah, safe pair of hands, isn't it? It really is. And I think that when you want to choose something that is a go-to, you know, there's lots of exciting things that we can choose nowadays. You do tend to lean in towards the things that make you feel something. Yeah. I feel that you that's something that you might enjoy quite a lot of, Dan. Yeah, definitely. I bet it's, it's exactly the kind of beer that I really like. Harvey's. If or whenever I'm in Sussex, that's what I'll I'll have. I think. I think it also says such a, a a lot about the pub space that you're going into as well. I really love most of the pubs that I actually see it on the bar in. Yeah. Um, whether they're sort of destination country pubs or whether they're sort of you know tucked into the 
into Brighton sort of city centre. They've they've got that sort of nostalgia and charm and oh, worldliness to them. I like that. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because there are, yeah, certain beers or, or, or drinks in general do sort of set the mood for a place and you kind of get an idea of what sort of place you're going to get. Like Absolutely. You and you can never just have one pint of Harvey's either because mm. that first one is, you know, immediately laces the glass and it's gone in a heartbeat. Yep. So um, it's it's just that good. And what do we know about it? Well, it's, I mean, one of the things that I found that interested me about is about the water that they use for the for Harvey's, which is rainfall that's filtered uh, for thirty years through the Sussex chalk downs, and then it's drawn from their well sixty feet below the brewery wow. and up to the liquid reservoir at the top. And they sort of say, you know, it's uh, they believe, and they're probably right that. Um, even if you use the same ingredients to make a beer elsewhere, it wouldn't be the same because the water's so important to the taste of the beer. So well, absolutely. I mean, beer's made with four ingredients mm. and, and, and those ingredients are affected largely by where they're grown or where they're produced. And we know that yeast is affected by location, water certainly. You know, we talk about hard and soft water mm. or, you know, places that... Um, have good sort of mineral waters and things like that. And it's just, and obviously hops grown in sunshine versus somewhere that's naturally irrigated and malt too. I mean, you know, barley fields and or whatever grain mix they're going for. Those four ingredients are so important and they're so um, affected by environment. So if part of what makes something taste so good is actually where it's from and it gives you that taste of the land, then yeah, I think it's something magical about it. Yeah, yeah. And there was an interesting thing they've got on this site as well from um, Kenny Tut, the MasterChef champion. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about Best. And he said that um, it's full of ca- uh, caramel and chocolate with background notes of orange peel. And he says um, it goes perfectly with a really big punchy curry, like a spicy beef madras or something like that, or with a sweet and sour Thai I think it can temper anything. I honestly can. I I think of Sussex Best as as sort of like a a very homely digestive biscuit that, you know, sort of sometimes you sort of think, well, do I want this? Because, you know, there are so many more exciting biscuits that we could be eating. But it's just something comforting and lovely. And and that sort of maltiness is great. If if it's a beer that, you you know, um, a chef can pair with a curry, but one that I could say would be great with a Sunday roast with Mm. all the trimmings. Then surely it's a go-to beer on any occasion. Yeah, yeah. very reliable, mm. very reliable. Wonderful, wonderful first choice there, Jess. What about your second draft option? What are you going to complement this with? Um, it's always really tricky to choose something else on draft, and I could, I was umming and ahhing about this one, but I've just come back from um, Dorset, um, uh, a short holiday. And I tasted Palmer's Tally Ho while I was down there. And I visited the brewery in um, Bridport. And it, it was just, yeah. yeah. I saw that. That was the um, children's day out, was it, to the brewery? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. My 11-year-old um, absolutely adored it. And uh, Darren was, yeah, was kind enough to take us around and show us, show us the old brew house and everything. And they it's- learned about, yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's sort of set, Robbie. There's a picture there. It's sort of yeah. set with a with a. Is it like an old old water uh, mill yeah, at the back? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's actually very similar sort of setup to Harvey's. You know, in that sort of traditional sort of um, family brewery sense, and you know they've got old coppers and things like that still. Um, and it's a working brewery. You know, it's a working engine. But that beer tally ho is. 
I mean, it was absolutely hammering it down all week, as it does on most British holidays, um, and we'd been to the cottage. Um, but there's something great about then exploring local breweries, local pubs, and indulging in any indoors activities. And I think that, that beer is just, yeah, it's magic. Is that sort of traditional British like a sort of countryside old old cask brewery sort of thing, something that you naturally gravitate towards, do you think? Not sure. I, I do like them now yeah. and I really like all of the knickknacks, you know, that sort of sense of when you used to go to your nan's house and there's like stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I love, you know, that sort of shiny horse bar sort of feeling, the patting carpet, the old yeah. sort of truncheon on the bar for, for the cask ale. Um, you think that there might be a, a dog sleeping by, you know, gently snoring by an open fire. Um, all of the sights and sounds, I think, uh, sights and sounds are all really, really integral and important. And you get quite a lot of that in country pubs. But I grew up, obviously, sort of just north of London. And um, most of the places that I, I hung out in growing up were, you know, a bit more divey, really, a bit more city-based. Um, but I like the fact that you go in the door and it was its own little world. Yeah. Lovely. I've never had. I don't think I've ever had Tally Ho. No, it looks nice. It's a uh, five and a half percent, so it's quite a strong. Well, it's, a, it's yeah. It's it's actually classed as as a strong old ale, and mm. it's yeah. just uh, yeah, lots of rich fruit cakey flavours. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. You, it, it, the website says you can make you can make quite a nice Tally Ho fruit cake with using the beer. It oh yeah, I wouldn't lovely. be surprised. Yeah, yeah, it's one that you'd you know even even on bottle you'd you'd want a bottle of it for you. Christmas table or something. Yeah. yeah, I think I might have to get that for Christmas. Actually, it does sound really nice, yeah. and it's a it's a th- the only thatched thatched brewery in the UK. Oh, that's a great fact. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually until recently it had a working furnace down there as well. And if you look up to where that furnace went, and you know as, as the malt came in and everything else, it's a wooden brew house with a thatched roof. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't gone up in smoke. <laughs> I mean, it's really dicey, and obviously, the, um, I found out from from the head brewer as well that the that the um, furnace chap was the only person who could, you know, obviously anybody could, who worked there could help themselves to drinks, but they were usually limited to something like one or two pints a day. But the only person that could have unlimited beer was was the the guy that used to, you know, put the coal in the furnace. So there would be this sleeping man, <laughs> man to sleeping by. Open fire and yeah, yeah. It does seem that the person that everyone should control their drinking, apart from the guy who's in charge of fire, yeah. should be as drunk in as possible. In a wooden yeah, thatched yeah, yeah. building, yeah. yeah, that's good. I like. I love a thatched building. <laughs> I live close to Norwich's only thatched church. Oh, yeah. interesting. Thank you. I'd never heard of thatched church. I'd never before. had, and I was like, oh, look at that. Ooh, that's nice. So yeah, big shout out to Thatchers, the people, the profession, not the yeah, not the group. Also, hi to them. Yeah, them too. <laughs> Thousands of people listen to The Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of The Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners... Get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com. Just when you meet people uh, outside of the drinks industry and 
they find out what you do. What are the questions that they always ask you? What's your favourite drink? Okay. Um, Based on this podcast, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we well practice then. Um, uh, uh, no, they usually sort of tell me what I do. Okay. Um, it's a strange one because nobody really sort of says, so, you know, you go into work, you put your bag down, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> um, usually they say, so do you just taste drinks then and review them? Because I think to most people, if you put the words drinks and write it beside one another, we just sort of think of wine reviews and things that we yeah. see in magazines like that um, and tasting notes and, and stuff. So the idea is, in most people's heads, is that you're somebody that just goes places, tastes something and then writes down a few notes as to what it's like. And that, you know, I do that sometimes, mostly when I'm judging for awards. But um, no, I mean, like nobody would pay me to just do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a dreadful shame. But um, Do you get lots of good trips doing or good good sort of um experiences through your work yes i do and i didn't probably properly appreciate that when i first joined the drinks industry obviously embraced the drinks industry with enthusiasm <laughs> um accepted most things people offered me and, and and then thought about the consequences later but the trips um were always fascinating and yet i sort of I don't know, maybe maybe initially I was quite stoic about it, thinking I'm I'm here, I'm a journalist, I'm going to be impartial. But now looking back, I think, yeah, I mean, probably to epitomise one of, you know, some of the best press trips, they're places that you would never, never get to go or never choose to go on holiday, but they're utterly fascinating. Um, and it's just a shame, I suppose, that you go as a sort of group of journalists and you're not yeah. a bunch of mates because you want to turn to someone and go, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Um, and share a moment, but usually you'll just stay with a bunch of people who are just writing things down. Is that the best bit about being a drinks writer? Um, or what is what is the best bit? I think the best bit is really just liking what you do. Um, of course, all of the spoils of being able to travel somewhere and see how something is made or taste something at location is is an incredible perk. Um, I hope I never get complacent about that, but. Um, no, I think I think enjoying what you do and always sort of learning and having something to learn. And I love the fact that the industry is such a historic industry, but then it's always constantly innovating. So there's always something new. What's it like? Uh, you've mentioned a couple of times about judging and things. How, what is that? Does that feel very pressurized when you're doing that? Because that yeah. must be quite a difficult thing to do because it feels like... You could go to a film festival and we judge and there's all very different kinds of things. But with beers, obviously they'll be different, but there's got to be, it's got to be sometimes very close run thing. It's like an endurance test. I mean, I think that, you know, if I, if I take a photograph of of a flight of some amazing beers or a full mat of beers um, at the start of judging or at the end of, of judging, most of the comments will be, oh, you know, nice work if you can get it or you've got the best job ever or whatever. But those people, <laughs> if they had a camera on me and what I'm actually doing, I'm actually scoring and writing tasting notes for every single thing that I've sipped throughout the whole day. And that might end up being something like 800 beers across four days or something. You have to be engaged yeah. every yeah. single moment that you are tasting something blind tasting something with what you're tasting and that's that's the sort of a really 
<laughs> it's like someone's gently squeezing your head. You know, after a while, you do have to sort of step away, and not just because you're a bit gassy. Yeah. You have to step away and sort of be like, okay. And it's and it's not because you can't find all of the right words or there are better words. It's it's because um, you you know to do a good job, you have to really not think about what you've just tasted and not think about what you're about to taste. You have to taste something in isolation. Yeah, that must be. 800 beers over four days, that must be... Well, I mean, now judging is usually put into more sensible steps yeah. for yeah. judges and there are more judges and it's spanned across more days. Um, but I have been in situations in the past where that it's been that intensive. Wow. Are you spitting these out or are you swallowing? Well, I mean, you can okay. always say that you can never really properly judge the finish of a beer if you're, yeah. if you're using a spittoon. But, I mean, um, you you know, when, when you're doing large quantities of beers and well or any drinks you have to yeah um but judges <laughs> just lying all yeah. over the place i wonder why they're getting better and better yeah 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 <laughs> well have you got any advice for someone judging something i'll tell you why because in a couple of weeks time i don't think i've told you this dan oh. i am one of the judges for the norfolk sausage roll awards <laughs> excellent yep. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You have done quite a lot of sausage roll videos. I, I'm quite into sausage rolls oh, in general, really? sort of yeah. thing. So, is there any advice for judging something in the food and drink Will space? Will you be spitting? Well, I don't think it'll be a sausage roll spittoon. Uh, the first bite is with the eye. Right. Okay. Um, Hold it up to the light and, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think that if something if something looks good enough, you know, to taste, then that's sort of halfway there, isn't it? When you want to get somebody to order something or or you want to create that sort of envy when someone else has something and you see their plate or their drink being brought over, I think that it has to look like, God, that's something I want. And it, and if it looks a bit sloppy, no, it's never really going to cut. I think all the other judges are like chefs and stuff, so I'm already <laughs> feeling slightly like imposter syndrome here. That yeah. I'm, but I probably have eaten more sausage rolls than all of them put together. So Everybody's got... palate is just as valid as the next person. Okay. Well, maybe not mine, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've talked about the best thing about being a drinks journalist. What's the worst thing about being a drinks writer or journalist? Um, probably that everybody else feels, I don't know, This is uh, there's a lot really, I suppose. There's a certain amount of aloofness in our industry, um, which part and parcel is something that always nudges it forwards because it sort of seems a bit cloak and dagger and people sort of don't know why people think something's good and something's not um and they don't want to show their hand so the ones in the know feel uh, you know a little bit smug so there's that which i think holds our industry back quite a lot um and there's also the fact that <laughs> i don't know maybe it's just even just social media or twitter but you know, people's sort of just constant need to say you're wrong in my opinion, you're wrong. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've, I very rarely say I'm right. I just sort of say, <laughs> this is happening. This is something. Yeah. Here we are. Um, I think that's Twitter is or X yeah. is now sort of thing. That's the sort yeah. of vibe on there sort of yeah. thing. Do you find that difficult to, are you, is that water off a duck's back or you, does it affect you? I used to be. Control? I mean, I don't know really. I mean, it really depends on what day you get me. I think that um, in the drinks industry in my 20s, obviously, you know, um, people would sort of reassert what they thought I should know, assuming I didn't know anything. And then as I got older, I'd just smile <laughs> and think, let them just dig their own grave and then show them what you know by <laughs> correcting them later. I don't know. I, I And now I don't, I don't know. Um, it's just a little wearing because yeah. you sort of think, well, it's just 
the thing about our industry or the thing about drinks is that you learn more by listening and opinions are opinions and you know everyone has different tastes and different thoughts so do people underestimate your knowledge because you're a woman often do you get much of that yes um well because it's quite a male-dominated industry, isn't that it? That has happened. The first time I visited um, Great British Beer Festival, I was working for a magazine where everyone was given T-shirts for the magazine for the, with the magazine title on, and um, I was asked how long I'd been doing my job by somebody, and I told them that I was relatively new, and that you know I'd started writing, and they said, "No, how long have you been walking around for your job?" <laughs> um, and there's an element of that, actually, that's run through most of my job, where someone will come over and put a hand on my shoulder and introduce everybody else by their names and job titles or who they are, and then just sort of slap me back on the shoulder and say, this is a nice young lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, we don't have any of that business here that we're underwater. <laughs> no. At least partly just our complete lack of knowledge of anything. Yeah. Um, you get a couple of choices <laughs> of bottles or cans, Jess, um, for your pub. What are your, what's your first choice? Um, I think I possibly surprised everyone, or would surprise everyone with my first choice. And my first choice is a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. <laughs> is that the one that we've... we've is that the one that the bell was picked then, is it? Yeah, yeah it is. Dr. Yeah. Pepper. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've got no control over it. No, you don't have any, any control it's, over the bell, yeah. It's the correct, what the correct realm. It's very strange, Jess, <laughs> this. It generally, um, what people will come up with these incredible £180 whiskies, yet whatever seems to be in Dan's local shop seems to be what the bell seems to provide quite a lot of time. <laughs> it's weird like that. You Amazing. know, Sophie Duker had ting, didn't she? Yeah. Uh, cans of ting. Yep. Um, yeah. It has provided a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Oh. Um, talk us through the choice of Dr. Pepper, which is, a, <laughs> is, is, I will admit, is a surprising choice. Yes, of course it is. The reason I've chosen it is because it's a surprising choice, but most of my friends will know that this features quite regularly in my in my life, or, or maybe as a fixer, as, as, as I've said um, many times before. What do you mean by fixer? Oh, sorry, a fixer. Um, a hangover recovery drink. Okay. That's what I. That's what I thought. Was it? Sure? Um, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So um, it doesn't just occupy that space. Of course, it's a sort of comfort. It's a nostalgia and, and everything else. I don't know why we don't have it through lines in the pub because um, you know we have other sort of relatively mediocre fizzy pops available. Mm. But um, what I love about it is that. Well, when I was growing up, we used to drink either probably a little bit of Coca-Cola or we'd maybe have dandelion and burdock. And I always felt like Dr. Pepper was a halfway house between the two. Um, And I have chosen it because I do sort of think that a really good pub would probably also have some something of what will fix you will always be able to provide maybe a good bloody mary some fizzy like some pints of fizzy pop some barocca and maybe have a breville out back because they know that you're going you know they saw you up and drinking and dancing till the early hours and when you weighed in the next day you're going to really need them to help you um get back on drinking again yeah yeah, yeah. um well but also i think there's a nurturing comforting community (laughs) aspect to it as well um this is usually usually consumed just sort of, you know, under the cover of a, a duvet at home or something, <laughs> hide, hiding from the, from the world. Um, 
But I have, yeah, I have friends and neighbours who will present me the next day with a bacon, a delivered bacon sandwich and a, and a bottle of Dr. Oh, really? Pepper. It's lovely, Dr. Pepper. Do you know what? I haven't had, I don't think I've had Dr. Pepper since I was a child. I I can't even remember what it tastes like. Well, one of the it reasons... Like Dr. Pepper, doesn't it? Yeah. There's no other taste, yeah. nothing else tastes like One this. of the reasons I, I do love it and the reason I think it, it, it's an important choice is because of the fact that I do believe that drinks need to be sort of gently oh intertwined God. and pubs need to be gently intertwined with that sort of nostalgia and charm. And I think that you need to have that relationship with a drink if you really, truly love it, where mm. it evokes some kind of memory or feeling or something, makes you feel something. Otherwise, it's just liquid. Yeah, and, I think and Vimto is my does. version of that. I think I'd go for a Vimto if I was picking a similar sort of drink. Yeah, you know, or some pickled onion monster munch and, you know, whatever whatever works. I think it also works like Sinkum Blocker. It just sort of goes down and <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah. gets, disperses everything. Yeah, I've no idea what the ingredients of Dr. Pepper are other than I'm going to guess significant amounts of sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, fizzy water, sugar, colour, caramel. Nobody nobody knows, Robbie, because it's a secret recipe, much like it's got it on the, side here, the KFC. Oh, no, it doesn't have all. I think you need a bit of sugar um, mm. to sort of, you know, make you work and function again a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I just think I probably ate too many sweets when I was a child. And so Fizzy Pop kind of occupies that that space for me of watching cartoons and having a day off school. I think it's interesting as a drinks expert, they've chosen Dr. Pepper though, because yeah. actually it is, it's, there's a lot of stuff about what is Dr. Pepper and the complexity of Dr. Pepper as a drink. There's, you know, the stuff that says oh, it's sweet, but it's also peppery. It's vanilla, but there's a little bit of citrus. It's actually a bit nutty and you can probably taste caramel. It's quite, it is quite interesting that you've chosen that. Maybe the most complex tasting fizzy pop that you've, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it was that contrived. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I don't think it sounds, was. Like, sounds it, very nice. I mean, yeah. I always veer away from expert as well because experts sort of suggests that you know, you've learned everything mm. and you, you know everything and there's so much always to learn. But I also quite like the fact that it, it works as an antithesis to this idea that you know, you choose the best drinks that you can think of because you think about how other people mm. will think of you and what that says about you. And really, this says more about me than me choosing some really fancy, fancy thing. I mean, I have chosen something else that's really, <laughs> yeah. really quite fancy, but then, you know, you, this is imaginary, so I'm allowed. But also, yeah. it's what makes you feel, you know, for a pub, it's what makes you what what makes the the pub that you want to create what that makes feel that makes you feel homely that makes you feel welcoming so so to have that comfort i think is quite important isn't it absolutely yeah i always sort of think of a pub as a bit of a, a hideaway or a tree house and i i like that idea of pulling the ladder up or or you know or huddled under the duvet and that home from home aspect is definitely something that runs through i wish more places sold it mm. yeah it's nice as well and We've all, all got children at the table. It's it's nice to have things, soft drinks for kids that they get excited about as well, sort of thing. I know my kids, when they get, they'll quite often just have an apple juice or something mm. like that. But when there's a nice variety of soft drinks, they get quite excited in the yeah. pub, which then means I can stay there longer. So it's a bonus, um, isn't it? Works, works both ways. Right, a great, an unexpected well, but terrific choice. I was just going to say, you, you talked about it as a, a sort of hangover cure. Yeah. Do you, if, what's your hangover cure, Robbie? Um, are you are you, are you a I, Bloody Mary? I, I like a Bloody Mary, but I think that's then just I don't know if it counts as a cure if you're just drinking again. Do you know what I mean? No. I, I drinking a lot of water before I go to bed, but then yeah. 
you've got the downside of getting up with lots of wheeze. Yes. So it depends what aspect of the hangover you're most worried about. That if, if you're thinking headache, then water the night before. Mm-hmm. But if you're thinking I'm not going to get a good night's sleep, that's not going to help you. So, no. Yeah. I've discovered one recently, which I've, which I really, it's worked every time. It's the way it's helped. Do and you it's, share? It's uh, peppermint tea, or Moroccan mint tea, ideally, with honey, with a spoonful of honey in. It, I don't know why. Before Moroc- bed or the no, next, next day? day? Moroccan mint tea. Yeah, and any any mint tea. Will so do, mint tea with lots of sugar. With with honey. Oh, yeah. With honey. Okay. It mm. really surprisingly works. I've I've tried it four or five times now, and I keep thinking this isn't going to keep working, but it does. Do you need mm-hmm. one of those pewter teapots? And no, you don't need. You don't <laughs> need to. It could just be a bag of peppermint tea. What's that thing you've got that you stick up your nose? That sounds bad. Like that, that oh, thing. the neti pot. Neti pot. Yeah. What's yeah. that? That's to sort of. Um, uh, yeah, it's got. A, it's like a sort of a, a watering can with a long spout, mm. and you put salt, salted water in it, and you kind of pour it through one nostril, and it comes out the other nostril. What's the purpose of that? It, it just cleans your cleans your your. Uh, I think I'd rather have a noses. blanket and an eighties film, yeah. some cheese on toast yeah. or something. It doesn't no, sound it's nice. It helps just helps you to breathe and feel. Yeah. I can usually breathe. It. I could just yeah. not. Yeah. I usually just don't have any filter on my brain. I can't think properly, mm. which is obviously an occupational hazard. If I, yeah. If I so I don't I don't get drunk when I'm working. No, no, it's never a good idea, is it? There's a, there's one in um in the Caribbean apparently that's um before drinking rub a lemon in the armpit of your drinking arm. But I think I don't think it particularly works. I'm not works. sure what science. Yeah, sure there's a lot of universities done that science without me it. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. There's a, there's a few things that I've not I've not um, ever tried, but there's quite a few sort of things coming onto the market now mm. that are supposed hangover avoiding. I don't want to say drugs, but that sort of tablets that you take beforehand. Have you ever had any experience of that or ever tried any of those? You usually take a Barocca or something, you know, thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'll put a lot of vitamins in yeah. and, and, um, and maybe that will help. But really, I think it's just water and you need something salty, you need something with sugar in hmm. and just a bit of time. And obviously, the older we get, the more time it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, there we go. Still no cure for hangovers we've discovered uh jess what's your second choice of can or bottle to compliment this is it vinto (laughs) no it's uh dea's steady rolling man which i love i mean it's it's great in can actually i mean if you can you know when you find it on draft obviously have it um but i i love this beer because well also because I, i suppose for my draft choices i chose things that i sort of thought people would probably lean towards colder seasons and yeah. i think that steady rolling man is a great beer in all seasons as well but you can imagine being on a bit of dapple pavement outside the pub and it being a really nice sunshine beer too yeah um i often get a can of it if i'm going on a train journey or something just because it's yeah it's great as a package beer it's one of those beers that i get if i'm drinking somewhere that's uh quite craft beery with someone who is wary of craft beer or doesn't really know I'd be unsure what to do. I'll quite often get them a can of that and go, here you go, you'll like this. Because I've never had anyone go, no, I don't like it. It's, yeah, um, we've, you know, mentioned balance before when we talked about Harvey's, but this is balance in a slightly different way, isn't it? It's all that sort of juiciness and freshness. And each sip, you sort of just have to go, hmm, 
Mm. <laughs> um, it's really good. It's um, such a brilliant brewery. They're one of those ones that just everything I've ever had from them have gone, this is fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you have breweries that, not just individual beers that you are, that are your, that are safe bets for you sort of thing? Are there ones Absolutely that you go, yeah. do. Yeah, of course. Um, There's a few names. Um, anything that Mark brews at Burning Sky, although I recently had a few pints of a rise and got really raging headache i was going to text him and complain. um uh anything that evan does at the colonel um obviously um jeremy and richard over down in utopian uh, i think they're doing incredible things um the guys uh, christian and john and um at north brew as well just because obviously they've been running some of the best beer pubs in the uk and then start a brewery they're not going to start with a few rubbish beers and some great beers there and I, I don't know I could reel off lots and lots um really but there are certain there are certain breweries where if I see their names or if I see something in a fridge I'll be like well those are my first ones although sometimes now and then I will just sort of go completely off piste and go and grab a Belgian quad or something. If I've got a long train journey to do, yeah. it's good to have an emergency quad in the side <laughs> pocket of your rucksack because then you know that you get to that point where it's like, this is a bit long. I'm going to drink this and then I'll have a nice nap. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what do we know about City Rolling Man? Um, well, I mean, really just what um, Jess has told us, but it's quite, I quite liked. So, Day is found by uh, the- uh, Theo, is it Frame? Pronounced Frame? In 2015. So, it's fairly newish brewery still really still less than less than 10 years old and it just how they talk about inventing steady rolling man it was sort of inspired by they were listening to to blues music great sort of american blues music and that's that sort of well, they were listening to all that while they while they developed steady rolling man um and that's how it was born so yeah it was sort of feels like just they were really you know in, embedded in the culture of how to make that that beer it's exactly the thing that they were aiming for yeah I like that. Oh, it's a fabulous beer and a, and a fabulous choice there, Jess. What are your feelings on pub quizzes? Um, I'm probably not very good at pub quizzes. Oh, um, Robbie will be pleased. Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I'm, we, we, Dan has got a um, pub quiz for you okay. now. And I don't know what it is either, but I'm dreadful at pub quizzes. Do you enjoy them? Oh, I enjoy them. I just, I don't know whether or not I'm a, the best person to be picked for the team. It's all, I'd always historically be somebody that just had two pieces of pie in Trivial Pursuit and only really knew right. two topics or something. Yeah. So, um, What, what yeah. topics, what subjects are you confident in? If no, 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 <laughs> because I'll probably jinx it. Okay. Um, I'm not telling you <laughs> what colours the pieces of pie were. I'm just going to say that, yeah, okay. there were few. Okay. Yeah, I'd always, on, okay. when I was a kid with Trivial Pursuit, it would just be sport and leisure was all yeah, I was yeah. getting. The orange, orange one. Always. Yeah. Yeah. One little orange bit and yeah. the grown-ups. Brown would always be a nightmare. Everything else was brown. Art and literature. I'm better at that now. Yeah, I'd be a lot better now. I'd be a lot more rounded. I probably won't get any sport and leisure now, yeah. but... Um, a lot better, but yeah. Play, play with my son, and he, he smashes us every time. Does he? Yeah, well, we, we sort of do the children's questions for him, but he's just yeah. That's a good sign. Batters us, yeah, it is, but you know, annoying at the same time. Okay, phones away. Put a gag on Siri. It's quiz time. Elvis's black belt was in karate. I saw it on QI. No half points for saying J.K. Rowling is the lead singer of Jamiroquai. Moira Stewart. No, I'm afraid it was Gordon Honeycomb. 
I thought we would do it about drinks. This is a, a bit tricky. So what I'm going to do is it's cocktails. Right. And these are all taken from our friends. I don't know anyone there, but I'm going to say our friends at the BBC Good Food website. <laughs> yeah, we're our best buddies. Yeah, we're always are. Oh, the nights we've had out with the BBC Good Food yeah, yeah, website. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are mad. They're off, off mad food, it should yeah, be called. Yeah, yeah. It should <laughs> yeah. be. Um, and what I've done is I've taken some recipes of cocktails from their website. So obviously, cocktail recipes differ, don't they? Mm. You know, people add in different things and stuff. But so they're well-known cocktails. Hopefully there's no tricks. So if I was to say uh, vodka, Kahlua and cream, you would say it was the cocktail. A white Russian? A white Russian, exactly. Okay, so. I feel I'm, I'm very much the underdog in this one. I, I think, yeah. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give three recipes for cocktails. Don't um, don't give us your answers yet because we'll answer in the second part of the podcast. So just have a think. You'll have time to have a think. Uh, they're all well-known cocktails. I haven't done anything tricksy. Okay. Question one. Which cocktail is made from pineapple juice, white rum, coconut cream with an optional wedge of pineapple? Question two. Which cocktail is made from vodka, peach schnapps, Cranberry juice, two juiced oranges, two slices of orange, with optional Class A cherries. And question three. Which cocktail is made up of bourbon, sweet vermouth, extra dry vermouth? You can correct me on my pronunciation. Angostura bitters? Uh, and again, sherry eau de vie? Or eau de vie? Sherry eau de vie, orange zest garnish. Bourbon, sweet vermouth, extra dry vermouth, Angostura bitters, sherry eau de vie with an orange zest garnish. I'm getting one out of three is my prediction. That's, that's your normal, so that's fine. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that going into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you confident, Jess? Mm, not particularly, Ish. but yeah, I'm okay. Okay. We'll, okay well, we'll find out those in the second half of The Moon Underwater because it is now time to leave those of you who don't support The Moon Underwater on Patreon. If you'd like to subscribe, you can head to moonunderpod.com and sign up to get ad-free extended episodes a day early, a monthly bonus podcast and access to The Moon Underwater Social Club on Facebook. We'll see you soon in part two. We'll continue creating Jess's dream pub. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thousands of people listen to The Moon Underwater every week and we can help deliver your brand message to targeted audiences. So if you're to be part of The Moon Underwater and connect with engaged audio listeners, get in touch. Just email sales at audioalways.com and find out more about how podcast advertising and sponsorship could work for you. That's sales at audioalways.com.